0: Hello and welcome to this ICE Tech Talks podcast, part of the ICE's continuing professional development programme. I'm Mark Hansford, Director of Engineering Knowledge at the ICE.
1: And I'm Alex Wynn, the ICE's Knowledge Content Director. In June 2017, a high-rise fire broke out in Grenfell Tower, a 24-storey block of flats in North Kensington, West London. 72 people lost their lives due to the fire, while more than 70 others were injured. What has followed in the five years since is a fight for justice for those affected. In that time, important questions have also been asked about the role of engineers and built environment professionals in preventing another tragedy of this scale.
0: Indeed, the Grenfell Tower Inquiry was created to examine the circumstances leading up to and surrounding the fire. It has published its Phase 1 report and is currently preparing Phase 2, the final report Dame Judith Hackett led a review of building regulations and fire safety on behalf of the UK government. The report, published in 2018, concluded that the existing regulatory system for high-rise buildings was not fit for purpose. The ICE report, in plain sight, assuring the whole life safety of infrastructure, was commissioned in July 2017, with the remit of capturing lessons for civil engineers and other professionals working on the UK's infrastructure. The report makes 11 recommendations focused on lesson sharing, competence and governance. The Grenfell Tower tragedy, its causes and its consequences, after all, cut to the heart of our practice as civil engineers. The Code of Professional Conduct cites each member's overriding responsibility to the public good. Fundamentally, our job is to design, deliver and maintain infrastructure to keep the public safe.
1: John Carpenter is an IC member who is at the forefront of driving competence around safety in our industry. He is the author of the IC book, Designing a Safer Built Environment, which focuses on design risk management. He is also the engineer we reached out to when we received a request for support from Grenfell Next of Kin, a grassroots support initiative representing immediate family members of the disaster's victims. In John's words, Members of the I.C.E. should be seen as the custodians of good practice when it comes to infrastructure of all types. We need to remember that what we take for granted in the way we discuss matters, whether it be stability, disproportionate collapse or interface risk, are meaningless to much of the public. He continues, The opportunity to assist some of the next of kin and residents of the wider estate following the Grenfell tragedy was one the IC naturally accepted, Grenfell Next of Kin and the Lancaster West Residents Association, the association for the estate which included Grenfell Tower, are well able to deal with social, landlord, and political matters, but do need support when it comes to technical matters. The IC provided this.
0: And our guest today is the person who reached out to the IC for that support. Kimi Sabian is an advocate of the Grenfell Next of Kin Group. Born in the Iranian city Tehran before moving to London as a child in 1974. Kimmy has seen some of her own family's experiences reflected in the issues faced by the victims' families. She recognises the difficulties and complications that emerge when negotiating the complex bureaucratic systems of a foreign country, especially when doing so in a second language. Drawing from her wide-ranging career in television and journalism, which has been consistently characterised by a desire to help those in society who might otherwise fall through the gaps or have their voices drowned out and ignored, Kimmy has worked extremely hard to ensure that the victims of the Grenfell disaster and their families are supported, fairly represented and not forgotten in the future. So Kimmy, it is a real privilege to have you with us here today. And perhaps to start, perhaps you could just reflect back to that moment when you were reaching out to an institution like ours. Just perhaps explain how how you came to contact us in the first place.
2: Thank you both very much for inviting me to be here and uh, to have this opportunity to speak f- on behalf of Grenfell next of kin uh, who have really given me the support to be here without them giving me that mandate um, I have no reason to talk at all um, i think I think when I re- reached out to ice um, w- was really out of desperation. We were being confronted with these uh, letters and emails and reports and so on by um, the Department of Leveling Up, which at the time was called um, MHCLG. Since Grenfell Tower, it's had three different IRIC names. Uh, it started off as DCLG, then MHCLG, and now the Department of Leveling Up. We've also had six ministers in uh, the five years, it's been a revolving door, really. And uh, it's very difficult to keep on top of all of that information and really check what's going on. And so that was really, it was it was out of desperation. We were being told that there had been an engineering report done on the structure and that decisions were going to have to be made and were imminent. And uh, for the next of kin, obviously anything to do with the site is of profound importance because that is where their loved ones were reduced to ashes. Uh, many didn't have anything to bury at all. So that site is very, very important to them. And I figured there's always an institute for everything. <laughs> so I just Googled, you know, engineering and found the Institute for Civil Engineers and and that was really, I was just asking for help. We need help.
1: Right, And what what specifically then in your words do you think characterize the support that John Carpenter gave to you
2: well first of all we have we're not engineers you know nobody has this the level of competence and expertise to to understand a building like Grenfell Tower and then the consequences of the fire and the structural implications and yet it is of paramount importance both to the families who lost their loved ones there to people who lost their homes there and, in, and the people who live around it. So the issue of safety is very important, as well as the, the emotional, psychological and spiritual significance of that site. So It's a complex situation. Now we can articulate or try to articulate the spiritual and the emotional and the psychological side and hope that someone listens to that, So unless you can back that up with real facts and real evidence that offer people options and opportunities to express those uh, more um, ephemeral ideas, it's very difficult to be heard at all against a system that's already decided pretty much what it wants to do. So when we were told that there was a structural report that had been commissioned by the government, we asked for that report we looked at it, we didn't understand what the hell it was saying, basically. And uh, so that was the important part of where John Carpenter came in because being an independent and respected and knowledgeable engineer with expertise in this area of um, safety, particularly uh, designing safer environments, it, it, he was able to uh, explore that report and... Um, Explain it to us. What does it actually mean? Yeah.
0: Because the real, if, if I remember correctly, the real question here that you you were seeking put to the ministry and others was the extent to which the structure could be retained because there was a sort of presumption that the whole structure was unsafe and the whole structure needed to be dismantled. And and there was a sort of, because as you say, that sort of connection that, that, that the... But the residents have with, with that with that place. So they they just wanted it explored. To the extent to which yeah, something could be kept.
2: It was it wasn't it wasn't even as specific as that. It was about understanding facts based on real knowledge, asking the right questions, so that people could explore options and have options. And the issue of choice and options, because there is a lot of people to satisfy here. We have an estate that surrounds the tower. They have to live in peace and safety. You have people for whom the building represents uh, the the dying grounds, if you like, to be brutally frank, because many have said to me, yes, although we have a cemetery we go to, actually, because we had nothing to bury, when I come to the building this is what I see as where they died so there is that side of the whole thing and those people are very important because none of this would be happening if there weren't multiple fatalities and um, you also have governments and the council and so on and so on who need to make a decision about the tower and whether it stands or is demolished in full so being able to have facts explained properly and clearly and presented without bias, without fear or favour, in a transparent way that allows people to be able to express their choices and their options. And that wasn't happening. Um, Not because the original engineers um, had failed, but because the original engineers who did the structural report were never asked the question of what is safe, what isn't safe. And so the question they were asked gave only one answer, which was to demolish the entire building. And, what we, and we knew from a um, historical perspective that buildings that are really important because they symbolise a moment in our history, so uh, they are preserved and incorporated as part of memorials so that we're always reminded, if you like, of what that incident meant. So we knew, for instance, with Coventry Cathedral or there's a church in Plymouth that's actually right in the centre of the roundabout, in the centre of the city, that these were buildings that were blitzed um, during the war. And they have not been destroyed and demolished, but they have been kept as part of a reminder that gives us our sense of national identity. And we feel that Grenfell Tower Fire, the catastrophe that it was, it is also a moment for nation building, that it allows us to express our national identity, that out of the darkness there can be hope. And we must never forget that, that we have to build towards a better future. So this idea of preservation of part of it became very important. When Don looked at the report. We had a series of meetings with the original engineers. So they were able to talk to each other as, as peers who understand their own language. And we also had present senior civil servants who uh, whose job it is to capture yeah, inaccurately, hopefully, what was being discussed. And they became quite apparent that up to the 10th floor of the building was perfectly possible to preserve and indeed floors above that can be preserved but that they need extra support and uh, more propping so suddenly there was this option that was never on the table before Um, and I think that's That's really the only way, is to find compromise. Um, It can't be a binary choice. Indeed, it's not even a binary choice because the choice of preserving the building as it is is not really an option. Uh, So really, people are being given only one choice, which is the entire demolition of the entire building.
1: It's really interesting now, just reflecting with what you're talking about there, Kimmy, that it just was not automatically asked in those initial... Questions of engineers and others of what what's possible, what's the right thing to do, and given quite a lot's been made of the World Trade Center Memorial of the 9/11 victims, and the and again, no one would see the structure above, but the honouring of the the towers, and they retained some of the foundation wall within the memorial site, the museum itself. It, It it seems kind of strange, almost that that wasn't sort of uppermost until those conversations broadened out. I suppose at which point, John. Uh you sought John's um involvement and Yeah, it's the whole thing has been very strange. I mean, I think that
2: I don't know whether it's I think sometimes civil servants tasked with this very delicate situation are just way too far away and way too removed from the actual people who live um on the ground who were affected. I think there is a there's a bubble think that goes on in every organization. Uh, I think that's, it's fair to say that that's happened. There was a sort of like an echo chamber uh, situation. And I think that what we were able to do was to be able to just broaden that conversation out, bring in some expertise that could talk specifically to, to the art of the possible, as one of the next of kin put it, the art of the possible. We just want to know what is possible. And so in that sense, it's been a massive step forward. But of course, it has to be translated into the will. And the will, if the will is not there, nothing happens. And we're hoping to be able to persuade the powers that be with cogent argument that they owe it to everybody to present full options in a transparent way and not be afraid of the response they get back. Perhaps they're afraid of the response, which is that actually people feel that a good compromise would be the partial preservation of the building. There is historic pre- precedent for it so that we don't lose the symbol from the skyline and we don't lose the memory uh, of what happened. But we create and transform it into a new moment of national identity building, if you like, 85% of the people that died in the tower were black and brown British. And I think it's fair to say that this was the first and perhaps hopefully the last national tragedy where predominantly it affected uh, black and brown British people. And as a national disaster, which is what it has been labelled right from the start, from when Her Majesty came two days after the fire, it was given that status that this is a national disaster. A national disaster that has essentially affected black and brown British disproportionately also needs to be marked in a national way, not just with, you know, some flowers and trees and a koi pond and... And, you know, a slab of granite with names on. Because that's the most basic. This is something different. And we will probably never see any kind of justice. We will not in our lifetimes. We will probably never see any resolution. There will never be able to be any way of, of changing this reality for the next of kin who've lost their children. Some have lost three generations of a whole family, uh, husbands, wives grandparents, siblings, for those people, nothing is ever going to be the same. So this is the least we can do, is to really mark it in a national way and honour the, the loss that they've suffered, which would hopefully, the legacy of which will be that other people in Britain can live in safety. Um, I think that's the thing that everybody talks about a lot, the legacy of it.
0: And, I mean, you've just explained it really clearly there Kimmy but sort of as you know yourself representing the families um, can make that that cogent argument but you can only do it now based on independent technically astute fact-based understanding of, of the art of the possible and, and and yeah I think we on speaking on behalf of the IC are really grateful for 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 John for stepping in as he as he did and 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 as he did so Sort of pro bono to to really has he just something he felt so strongly about, uh, and and I, I just think it's it's I think what John did was remarkable.
2: It really was. I mean, it was. Sorry to interrupt, but I could really go wax lyrical about him as a human being as well as as a professional. Um, not only did he just take up the um, forgive me for interrupting you because I. I'm really speaking from the heart here and what we witnessed, he not only gave his time and his expertise, but it was the way that he did it. He was not just knowledgeable and expert in his field. He was able to talk to all the different levels at a, in a way that was completely irrefutable and incomprehensible. Um, so when he was talking to the engineers... It wasn't antagonistic. It was really respectful, peer-to-peer respect, to be able to really push them also to understand what was at stake here. That it's okay to say, well, we were never asked that question. But there's also an obligation to perhaps go a little bit further and that that's what he was doing. He was trying to extrapolate from the facts um, other options that... People could think about because that's what they'd said. They'd said we don't want the whole building demolished, uh, but they had no. We had no way of articulating that other than I don't like it. <laughs> you know that's not good enough. You can't just say I don't like it because no one listens to you. So we had to have, um, you know. Uh, so he was able to talk to his peers and extrapolate from that um, clear concise information and then he was able to talk with the families several times on on various zoom calls and we were this was all happening during the time of covid so that was particularly difficult but he would make himself available he would have one-to-one conversations he would explain what was happening what was in the report what was possible, what is impossible. Not telling people what to do or what to think, but just giving them the options that they can then reflect upon and find creative ways of expressing themselves uh, through those options. And then there was um, his conversations with uh, the memorial commission and with the civil servants. Very skillful and very human. And it was—I um, just wish. We had come across more people like John throughout the last five years, to be honest. The skill level and um, his communication skills, his knowledge and his human touch was a very extraordinary package. We were very lucky. We were very lucky.
1: Actually, I think you've almost answered my next question, which was going to be about what elements of the experience of working with John... um, Do you think other engineers can adopt or learn from so much? And I think, I I suppose, just to push that a little bit further based on what you've just said, Kimmy, is it how much of it is for you, what a lot of engineers would accept is the technical role that they have, but this balance between the human side that you've just described so beautifully about John and how he conducted himself? I don't know. I mean, I think it's something that can't be taught. (laughs) I think it's
2: something that comes through... Uh, who we are and how we're nurtured, which is also what sort of society we grow up in, you know. Um, Maybe he's just old school. I don't know. I mean, he was just really performing a service. You know, he was just being of service. There There was nothing in it for him at all. There was no kudos. In fact, I was surprised that he was sticking his neck out as far as he was but he had utter confidence and he knew what he was talking about. I think that education is really great, but if it's not actually applicable to human beings and lived experiences, it's sort of a bit pointless. And particularly with something like your field, civil engineers, uh, and uh, I know very little about what you actually do, but I know that it's really important to making sure that things don't collapse on top of our heads. Uh, So I think that you're dealing with human beings, but perhaps sometimes it's forgotten how ordinary people experience their lived environment. But but what what John was able to display was, I think it can be applicable right across the board because any profession, anyone in a professional role ought to be able to um, apply their knowledge in a way that's um, not elitist, but understood by the people that they're there to serve. I mean, it was interesting when the, when Her Majesty passed away that there was all this conversation around service, being of service. And I think that's a really, it's, it's a quite a complex concept, but in a way it's not. It's really simple. It's just... I remember my uncle telling us when we were growing up, you know, the only advice he had was work hard and make yourself useful. And I think it's as as simple as that. So it doesn't matter whether you're a doctor or a nurse or as Martin Luther King said, you know, if you're a road sweeper, be the best road sweeper that you can be. That notion of being a service and doing your best and doing your best in terms of how it serves the people that are the human beings that live on the street that have to walk the pavement that don't want rubbish on the ground or the doctors or whatever, whatever your experience, you know, how it applies to human beings because that was actually what was the most astonishing thing in the inquiry was that we had day after day of witnesses coming and giving evidence and pretty much shrugging their shoulders and saying nothing to do with me and it was this sort of computerized no attitude or nothing to do with me or passing the buck as... The QC Millett said, you know, it was a merry-go-round of bug passing. That attitude of not really asking questions and not really sticking your neck out and not really fully engaging with what's in front of you has consequences. It really has consequences. And Grenfell really identify that clearly. So, Is it the person who's way down the ladder who just skips over the email or doesn't ask the question or doesn't stick their neck out or doesn't say, well, hang on a minute, this seems to contradict this report. Are they as responsible as the person who, you know, manufactures the goods that then lead to, uh, you know, this, this type of atrocity? But I think if we all play our part in taking responsibility and being of service... Perhaps we can change the culture of all organisations. For me, I've never dealt with engineers, but I was really impressed with the way that John was really taking the the challenge seriously enough to do so much work on it, pro bono, to be of service to the victims and to make sure that they had full facts and knowledge to be able to make some choices it's no good just looking at stuff on the news and saying oh isn't that terrible i feel so sorry for those people but if you can play a role then and even if it's never seen or recognised then you know at least you've done what you're supposed to do i don't know whether that answers your questions very
0: much <laughs> i think it, i think it really does i think and i think that's that's a really powerful lasting message to to leave with all of our membership um, to 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 be more like John in this case <laughs> yes, study be example. John. We just if we had more Johns, we would That's have it. we would have less problems. I think is 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 the is the message, and and I think clearly John is just one example, and there will be countless other Johns out there who are doing very similar things. I'm sure across the country, across the world, in our field. But um, we've been able to bring the example of John to John to to bear here today, and I hope Kimmy, you would. Just echo that. More, more Johns, please.
2: Absolutely, <clears throat> more Johns everywhere in all areas, in all departments. You know, uh, don't be afraid to ask questions, to take responsibility, to be of service. And doesn't matter what the culture of the organisation is, whether it encourages it or doesn't encourage it. I think it's really important to do the right thing, well, as Spike Lee would say.
0: Well, <laughs> well, well, brilliant. Thank, thank you, Kimmy, um, for for joining us today and, and sharing those very kind of powerful. And emotional thoughts and, and experiences, and and for all the work you have done and continue to do.
2: No, it's really an honor and a privilege to be of service. But I'm really thankful that you have, um, you know, you supported the next of kin because this was way outside of my um, expertise. I, you know, failed maths O level, so I really <laughs> have no idea how to look at reports and engineering
1: reports. So thank you for giving us your knowledge. Oh no, it's again a thank you from us, and and it has been an absolute privilege, and to hear from your perspective, just that the complexity of of the skills. Actually, it's about that beautiful balance between you might be technically credible, but it's how you do it and how you exercise that with with compassion and listening and and care. So we yeah hugely appreciative and really hope that. The words that you've brought today are, are, are resonate as well as well with our yes, audience. Yes, they have to ask, let's
2: it's... hope the new minister. Um, look, I'm not not sure which number we're on there, <laughs> but uh, we let's hope that the new minister of the Department of Leveling Up, uh, who's now being tasked with looking after Grenfell affairs, will really hear and understand that no one's trying to tell anyone what to do or make decisions on behalf of everybody. But what we are asking for is. Truthfulness and transparency in options and allowing people to make informed decisions because this really
1: matters. I think we very much look forward to some hopeful resolution. Thank you, yes. For as best as possible for those involved. Thank you, Kimmy. Um, yes, and thank you to our listeners. Uh, you can learn more about this topic and discover more podcasts, videos, and other resources on the IC Knowledge Hub, which is accessible via ic.org.uk new content is launched throughout the year so do keep a lookout i've been your co-host alex Wynn.
0: and i've been your other co-host mark hansford this was an IC tech talks podcast we hope you can join us again soon